to Numbers, the 14th chapter, verse number 20. And we, we started the series a few weeks back and we entitled it Preparing for Greater. Preparing for Greater. As we get to the words of our text in, in Numbers, the 14th chapter, verse number 20, uh, we begin to see that God is uh, dealing with his people. When you think about the Bible, the totality of the Bible, the Bible is God's revelation to mankind. It's actually a love story. The Holy Scriptures, if you want to, if you want to get a, a, a cursory overview of what it's designed for, it's designed to give us a picture of God's love for man and how God, in his infinite wisdom, even when man chose to mess up in the garden, God had a plan to bring man back to himself. Are you listening to me? And God chose to wrap himself in human flesh. Can I get a witness? Because it was man in human flesh that violated the will of God. And God, in his deliverance, knew that he was going to come in human flesh to sacrifice himself so that he could give man an opportunity to commune with him in an intimate sort of way. Are you listening to me today? And so, but in order to do that, he had to choose an earthly family to come through. And so he chose a man, the Hebrew nation, a man to bring the, the process of birthing the Savior into the earth realm, the Savior who would go to the cross of Calvary and die for you and I. Amen. He had to have a family to bring the Savior through. Now, think about that just for a second. If he had to have a family to bring the Savior through, then if that family were destroyed, then God's plan would be messed up. Am I right about it? So God, even as he dealt with his people, he knew he had chosen the Hebrew nation to birth the Savior to the earth realm. And even though the Hebrew nation sometimes was trifling, y'all know what it means to be trifling? Any of y'all ever been trifling before? I, I know I have. And guess what? I've been trifling before since I've been trifling since I've been born again. There's some things that I did I know was not in line with God's will, but yet God protected me. Because he was preparing me for greater. Are y'all listening to me today? And so as God, amen, amen, had the Hebrew nation, amen, through which he was going to birth the Savior into the earth realm, part of his disciplinary process was that whenever they would go astray and go a whoring after other gods, God would, would, would have to get them back pointed toward him. And sometimes the only way God can get us to think back toward him is he takes everything else away. And so when we look at the context as we lead up to our message in, in the scripture we're taking today, the Hebrew nation had been in captivity down in Egypt for 400 plus years, right? 400 years in captivity and slavery in Egypt. And now God said it's time for the deliverer to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But even after being delivered, he, he was taking them to a land of promise, but they still were cutting up a little bit. There were still some who were trifling. Everybody say trifling. That's an old school word, but anybody in North of Florida know what it means to be trifling. All right. And so, so there were times when they would forget about their God and start doing stuff that was not indicative of who they really were. They were God's people. Now, how many of y'all have had your children before act like they didn't belong to you? Come on, can I get a witness? How many of y'all said, now, now listen, you know I didn't raise you that way. Right about it? And, 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 you, and you know that's not our, the, the principles for our family, which we, we founded this family upon. We, we are a family who prays and a family who's on, who, who, who directs their, their business by God's word. Now, here you are doing this, and then now that doesn't look like you belong to us. So the children of Israel, just like you know, your children will sometimes do stuff that you think, well, what in the world were they thinking about? God's people did the very same thing. So look at here in the 20th verse. He says, then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. He's talking to whom right here? Anybody remember? Who's God having a conversation with? Moses. Okay. He says, I, I will pardon them as you have requested. Because Moses, the, the deliverer, asked God not to destroy the people. His own people who were, <laughs> who were delivered out of Egypt. But because they were cutting up, because they were trifling, 
God, the, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. The text says, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, verse 22, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by what? Refusing. Listen to this. They have tested me. If you want to know how you test God and how you how you come against God and can kindle God's anger against you it's when you refuse to listen to his voice. Now, listen, coming to church is good, but coming to church and refusing to listen to God's voice still won't get you anywhere. He says here, but again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Verse number 23. Let's read. It says what? They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. So let's let's begin to unpack. Now, remember last week we left off by saying that if if, if God, God was preparing this nation for greater, God had already said that I have a land that I promised to you. And he says that land, which is Canaan land, every place that your foot treads upon, I've already given it to you. It is it is unmistakable that God had a greater blessing for his people. It is unmistakable that God had a land that was flowing with milk and honey. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel went over into the land to spy it out. Twelve leaders went over there and twelve leaders came back and said it is exactly the way God said it was. Twelve leaders went into the land and confirmed that the promise of God, the land that flows with milk and honey, was actually a reality. But guess what happened? Ten of them came back with a report that says, yes, it's like what God said, but we can't take it because we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Y'all remember the story, right? I'm just giving you this little a little bit of review. Twelve leaders came back and confirmed that what God said was actually true about the land. But some of them couldn't believe that they could take the land. I told you when we start this series, I said three problems that that plague Israel was what? Number one was what? Fear. They walked in fear. The, the command that's given most often in the scripture, and I keep repeating this over and over again, is thou shalt not fear. Fear not. Time and time again, God keeps telling us, keeps telling his children to fear not. So the first problem they had was what? Fear. The second problem they had was what? Unbelief. They did not believe, Gary, what God had actually said in his word. And I will submit to you that everybody that's sitting, sitting in this sanctuary, in this auditorium this morning, even though you're hearing word, everybody does not believe word. There are people who are sitting here who, who will mentally assent to the word of God and intellectually hear what I'm saying and what I'm teaching. But in actuality, they don't believe it. Experientially, they don't believe it. So unbelief was the second thing that the nation of Israel struggled with, the Hebrew nation struggled with. And the third one was what? Complaining. All right. Fear, unbelief and complaining. So we get to this point here where because of fear, they saw the enemy over there because how many of y'all know, even though God says he's giving you something, he's promised you something. It don't mean that you ain't got a part to play in, in accomplishing that thing. Amen. But here's what I want you to know. If God ordains it and if God promises it, then it can be a reality for us if we don't operate in fear, if we don't operate in unbelief, and if we don't complain all the time about the fact that we got to do something to receive the promise. Are y'all listening to me today? So fear, unbelief, and complaining. So when we got to the words of our text, we we're seeing where, where, where God, God, has, God has told Moses, I'm not going to destroy them. But that generation that, that, that caused me contempt because of their fear, their unbelief and their complaining, that generation will not enter the land of promise. Are you listening to me today? But, let's, but, but, but even though the greater was prepared for them, they didn't receive it. Now, what I told you on last week, we got to start looking at Moses' leadership. Because in order for Moses to actually deliver the people, God had to prepare him for the journey. Can I get a witness? Moses had lived to be 
120 years old. And his life, I told you on last week, can be divided into three chapters of 40 years each. The first 40 years was, was, was an unqualified success, we told you. The middle 40 years was an undisputed failure. But the last 40 years, he was finally fit for the master's use. Amen? So at, at, at right around the age of 40, Mo, Moses, Moses experienced what I would call a midlife crisis. Now, how many of y'all know it's generally thought that men in particular around the age of 40, if they're not careful, they'll lose their mind? Anybody in the house? In other words, you're 40 years old, now you want to act like you're 20 years old. You know, the man that goes through the midlife crisis, in other words, now he's 40, he want to buy a Corvette. Nothing wrong with that, understand me. But now he's, he's, he's trying different stuff because if he doesn't fully understand who he is and who God made him to be, then when he starts to get 40, he's still trying to act like he's 20. And you got a wife and four kids. Huh? And now you want to go to the Southern game and the Grambling game. Hoop. I'll get your cane. Come on, Katie. I ain't mad at y'all, frat brothers. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> All that stuff. 40. And he faces what I'm going to describe, and I'm, I'm going to call sort of a midlife crisis. Moses, he, check this out. Again, preparing for greater. See, here's what I understand. In order for greater to occur in the life of the body of believers. In order for greater to occur in the life of the nation of Israel or, or the people of God, we got to have leadership that is prepared for greater. We have to have leadership whose mindset is not still at, 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 at the baby Christian level. We have to have leadership that, that, that sees the vision and believes without fear or trepidation that what God promises, he's fully able to bring to pass. And so many times in our congregations that we find in our churches, we find leadership that's not prepared. Moses knew deep down in his heart that he was not, you know, in, in, in the privileged position that he was in uh, by chance. Because remember, his mother put him in the river and he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the palace. Can I get a witness? And so, so Moses, he knew that was a reason for him being where he was. God had reached down and taken him from a family of slaves and placed him into the very family of Pharaoh. And God had a purpose in doing so. Again, uh, many of y'all sitting here right now today, God has positioned you in the place that you are abiding right now. Amen. And, and, and he's put, positioned you so that you, amen, can, amen can, can be an influencer. God has you where you are so he can use you right where you are. Let me say it again. God has you right where you are so he can use you right where you are. Go to the book of Acts right quick. Acts chapter number 7 and look at verse number 24 with me. Right, Acts chapter 7. And we're going to look at verse number 24, preparing for greater. Stephen, in this discord of scripture in the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, verse number 24, gives us a particular insight into what was going on in Moses' mind when he moved to defend his Jewish brother. Now, we're, 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 going, to, we're going to look at that in the book of Exodus. It's going to give us some even greater insight. So he gives us some, some insight as to what's going on in his mind. Look at verse number 25. Let's read. 24 says what? He saw an Egyptian talking about Moses mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Look at verse 25. Moses, watch this, assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. All right. Can we read that? Y'all read that out loud with me. I want, I want that to sink down in your spirit. Let's read it together. It says, what? Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him 
to rescue them, but they didn't. How many know there are times when God has you on assignment to reach a certain people, to reach a family member, but that family member don't realize that you are the deliverer that God has sent to get them out of what they're into. That family member will come against you. That family member will, 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 will despitefully use you. That family member won't appreciate what you're trying to do in and through them and how you're trying to help them. They will actually get mad at you for doing what God put you on assignment to do. Can I get a witness? And it happens sometimes in the church. Sometimes you don't realize that, 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 that your pastoral leadership has been given to help develop you and to cultivate you and to get you to the place that God wants you to be. He says, but he says, Moses, assume. Everybody say assume. Now, this verse makes it very clear that right around the age of 40, Moses knew. Moses knew he had been chosen by God to be the deliverer of Israel. He was absolutely right about that task. But guys, but guess what? But he was dead wrong about the timing. He was right. He assumed that the Israelites would realize God sent him. Now, here he is still in the king's palace, Gary. Brenda. He's still in the king's palace, but somehow, some way, God, he began to realize his chosen destiny and his purpose. He assumed that the Israelites knew it too, but they didn't. And sometimes people don't realize that you've been placed in their life to help move them from where they are. To help move some stuff out of their life so that Jesus can have first place in their life. They don't realize it, and then they'll come against you. Everybody say preparing for greater. So, so, so uh, Moses knew he had been chosen by God to be the deliverer of Israel, but he was right about the task, but wrong about the what? Timing. And as a result of his 40-year miscalculation, we see what happened. Look at verse number 26. Y'all know the story. Let's go. It says what? The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. Now here we see two Hebrews fighting. Two of Two cousins, two relatives. I can't emphasize this enough. One of the things that hinders the church from being the church and having the impact that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should have in earth realm is that we spend too much time fighting one another. Are y'all listening to me today? As a matter of fact, Jesus even made this pointed statement. He says, the world is going to know that you belong to me when they see the love that you have one to another, one for another. When the world sees Christians getting along and loving each other with that unconditional love that Jesus Christ, amen, exudes in us, then they're going to see and they're going to know that we belong to God. But what happens a lot of time is churches and, you know, Christians and we have these denominational differences and all this kind of stuff. Instead of, instead of working together, we start fighting one another. And we expect the world to want to come and join us and watch us fight each other. It's bad when family members are fighting you. And we are all a part of the body of Christ. We are all family members. You, if you are saved, you're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. Look, but look, look at this. Look at 26. The next day he visited them again and saw two men in Israel fight. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are, my, you are brothers while you're fighting each other. Look at 27. Watch what happens here. Okay, let's go. But the man in the wrong the man in the wrong, the man who was in the wrong, pushed Moses aside. Amen. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us, he asked. Look at verse number 29, 28, I'm sorry. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Look at the next verse, let's go. Says, well, when Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Now again, watch this. Listen to it very carefully. Around the age of 40, Moses actually started to try to institute his own plan to bring about the exodus, amen, and it didn't work. I want you to know something. This event here uh, gives us some, some clues. This stuff that just happened gives us some clues in the, about the kind of man Moses was. Stop for, stop for a minute and think about it. Think about what he was trying to pull off. His goal was to take two million slave laborers plus women and children out of Egypt and back to the land of their fathers. Two million slave laborers 
and their, and their wives and their children and take them back to the land of their fathers. Because the Bible says he assumed they knew that God put him on assignment to deliver them, right? These people, and I told you on last week, the, 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 when you think about what was happening here, they were, the, the Hebrew nation were the economic backbone of Egypt. Amen. Uh, yet Moses believed that they would follow his, his leadership, follow his leadership to the point where they would revolt against Egypt and find their freedom. Amen. In Canaan land. It takes a special kind of man to attempt this kind of rebellion. Would you all agree? Watch this for a second. He must have had great self-esteem. He, had, he must have had great confidence in himself and who he was. He must have had great courage. Would you all agree? Moses believed in himself. He knew he was gifted and well connected. And he knew he had what it took to pull off an exodus. He knew it because he had succeeded in everything he had taken up in his life up to this point. He was a successful man. I like to put it this way. Moses, if you will allow me to say it, he was a mover and a shaker. Any of y'all out there movers and shakers? Let me put it another way. Moses was a big baller, shot caller. Can I put it that way? Moses was, in the words of the old blues song, Mr. Big Stuff. Hello? And I can even go with the other part of that song which says, who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff? You're going to lead two million slaves who were the economic driving force, amen, for the Egyptian economy, and you're going to take them back to the land of their fathers, amen, just because you are Moses? He had... Self-confidence, which y'all agree. Moses was a mover and a shaker, but he, this time, guys, because up to this point, everything he did was a success. But this time, he hit a brick wall. Go to Exodus, the second chapter, right quick. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 11. And this, gives us, this is going to give us another angle on the event Stephen referred to here in the book of Acts. Exodus chapter number 2. And let's look at verse number 11. Are y'all still with me together? Preparing for greater. Because in order for God to get done what he needs to get done in the earth realm, he needs a body of believers to get it done. God works through man to bring deliverance to man. Now, yes, God could. God, God could do whatever God wanted to, but God chose to use mankind to preach to mankind. He chose men and not angels to carry the gospel message. He, let me put it this way, we get to be co-laborers together with Christ. We get the opportunity to serve with our big brother Jesus. Now watch what the text says here. Are y'all still with me? Watch it. The text says many years later, very same account of, of what we just read in, in the book of Acts. But it says many years later when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Something on the inside of him rose up. Now, remember, he's in the palace. He's, he's living large in Egyptian land. He has all the privileges of the palace. Yet and still, there was something stirring on the inside of him that he just could not tap down. Watch this. Watch this. He says, during this visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Verse number 12. Watch this. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Now, again, I shared with you on last week that there was one fatal flaw in this account of Moses' attempt at deliverance. Scripture says, in the case of he says, he looked this way and that way. In other words, he looked around to his left and then to his right. But I told you on last week, he failed to look up. See, a lot of us looking around to our left and we're looking around to our right, but we're not looking up to the Father in heaven who brings us true deliverance. As the old folks say, we're not looking to the hills from which cometh our help because all of our help comes from whom? From the Lord. Amen. So he looked to the right and left, but he failed to look up. There, listen, there is a type of self-confidence and self-esteem that is healthy and good. And we all ought to have some confidence in ourselves. Can I get a witness? But there's also an excessive self-confidence that's very harmful to your spiritual health. 
There, 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 there's a self-confidence and, and, and self-esteem that, 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 that is, that's a word that most of y'all probably heard that, that's, that's narcissistic in nature. A narcissist is one who thinks that they got it all going on and can't nobody do it but them. They're the smartest, they're the best, they're the brightest, and they can do whatever they want to do. You ever ran across anybody like that? All right. So, so, so Moses, again, self-confidence, yes. Self-esteem, yeah, that's a good, healthy self-esteem and self-confidence. But when it gets out of pocket and, 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 and it's, it goes against uh, what God wants us to do, then it's not good for our spiritual health. How can you tell the difference? How can you tell whether or not you got that type of self-confidence that, that, that's overburdened uh, or it's excessive? Well, just jot this down real quickly, okay? A wrong self-conscience is characterized by no prayer. A wrong self-confidence is characterized by no prayer. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times have you went to do something in your life and you didn't pray about it? Hello? A wrong self-confidence is characterized by no prayer, a prayerlessness. In other words, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. If you elect me, I'm going I'm to I'm turn the whole world upside down. I'm, I'm going to do this. I, 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 but there's no prayer involved. It's all about what I'm going to do. Amen. You know, we're so busy instituting our own plan a lot of time and following our own instincts and leading, and we're so confident that it will all work out like we plan, that many of us never bother to look up. I want to ask you a question. How many times have you made major decisions or either small decisions in your life and you never sought the Lord in prayer about it? I'm not talking about just come here and say, I want y'all to pray for me, and then you leave and, and then go out and, 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 and never even revisit that prayer again. Many times, we make missteps because we didn't really go into prayer and seeking God. We look to the left, look to the right, look at what, what the qualification was, but we never looked up and said, God, is this really what you want me to do? Because how many of y'all know that could be some good stuff that's out there, but if it's not God-ordained and if it's not God-led, it ain't for you. Are oh, y'all listening to me today? I think I told you guys when I, when I first... Uh, got out of school of Louisiana Tech, my, had, had my degree in finance in hand, and I had two job opportunities. Uh, one of them paid more than the other one. Um, and, and now when I look back on it, I see God's hand in the middle of all that. Uh, I, I kind of want to take the one that paid more money, to be honest, because, you know, after all, that got to be the Lord's will, KD. It's got to be the Lord's will. It's more money, right? Hello? Anybody out there? Thought it was the Lord's will because it was more money and you got over there and got more money and realized you were in the pits of hell. <laughs> Hello. And I told you, after, after praying about it and, and talking to my wife about it, at that time she was, she was a young Christian because I led her to the Lord. And, and so when, when she, and she was growing in her faith and she wasn't quite there yet. <laughs> let, let me put it this way. She's not where she is right now. Look at it with a fine, pretty set, okay? I just had, that, that wasn't a part of the sermon. I just throw it in parenthetically. It doesn't really look good. Yeah. I, I, Andre and they got a little secret. Don't worry about it. But she was saved and cute, but she wasn't spiritual. Right? I mean, I'm not, this is, she's not where she is now. And her immediate response was, take the money. And most of us in here, if, we, if we're honest about it, most of the time, we, we're going to take the higher paying job. But my question to you is, is that what God ordained for you? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. You can get more money and be more miserable. Now, we all need money to operate. We need money to live in this life, so I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but what I'm saying is, if you're looking to the right and to the left and looking at qualification and looking at position and all that, but you fail to look up and say, Lord, is this your desire for my life? 
See, the ultimate self-confidence is, is when you make a choice and decision without bathing it in prayer. Can I get a witness? Moses, <laughs> he really was chosen to be delivered. But his, his plan for deliverance was about 40, 40 years too early. Are you listening to me today? He was the man to bring deliverance, but yet still at this point, God still had to prepare him for the greater work. It's not. Listen, when we do stuff like this, it's not that you know, most of us are going against God. It's just that we don't have a sense that what we really need. That, you know, most of us don't have a sense that we really need to depend on God. Nobody who's really saved and involved in church and growing a little bit in their right mind just don't just push God away when they're talking, when he shows his, his revealed will. But most of us don't really seek him and depend on him to show us his revealed will. Are y'all listening to me today? And so we think we can handle things without bothering the Lord. We think we can handle things without bothering the pastor or bothering a fellow brother or sister in action, advice, and, 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 and wisdom on the situation. Scripture says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's what it says. So in other words, when I get ready to make a decision, I want wise counsel. Now, that wise counsel that's been prayed through and people who I trust and people who I know are praying. I'm not talking about an old person. You can be old and foolish. Hello? I'm not talking about somebody who holds a position in the church because a position in the church don't mean that you are growing spiritually. But wise counsel are people who, are, who bathe, amen, uh, th- th- their life in prayer, who spend time in the word and let the word of God direct their decision making. Are y'all listening to me today? Here we see, amen, uh, that, that Moses, even though he knew that God had, had called him, he was not quite ready yet. So God had to prepare him for greater. Amen. You know, a lot of us think we can handle things without bothering the Lord. Now, notice what Jesus said in John 15 and 5. Watch that. Pop it up right quick. John 15 and 5. Watch what Jesus said in John 15 and 5. Glory to God. Look, look at this. Watch. Can we read? It says what? Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them. Watch this. Those who remain in me. And I in them will do what? Produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can what? You can do nothing. The person with excessive self-confidence really doesn't believe that last phrase. Look at that last phrase. It says what? For apart from me. Oh, but pastor, I believe that. Well, if you believe that. Well, did you really go to the Lord and pray about that thing you did that wasn't in God's will and it blew up in your face? But you went because you thought you had it handled by yourself. The person who's overconfident don't believe that last part that apart from God, I can do nothing. Because they figure, well, I got the degree. I got the money. I've saved up. I got the skill sets. I can handle this. Amen. You may believe it intellectually, but do you believe it experientially? See, intellectually, I can accept that that is true. But experientially, if I go through something and, and, and I know that I can't handle it without God, and I know that I can't handle it without God, so I invite God in to direct my thoughts, my footsteps, my pattern for living. If I invite God in, that means that I believe that apart from him, I can't do nothing. But if you're doing stuff without praying about it, without seeking wise counsel about it, you don't really believe this. Because in your own mind, you think you're smart enough to handle it. Hello? And God says, I want to be a part of everything that you do. And this is exactly where Moses was. Even though he was gifted, even though he was talented, he's having this midnight crisis because he thinks he has the answer. This is why Moses' failure, Moses' failure had to, had to be particularly bitter. Because when you when you when you have, you know, resources, when you have intellect, when you have influence, it's easy for you to think you don't need God. Let me even go even further than that. 
And maybe you, you've tracked this way all your life. Maybe you've done things this way all your life and you don't want to change the way you're doing things. And God's trying to get you to change the way you do things by seeking him first. But you, on, on, on a historical pattern basis, you have not really spent the time to seek God first in whatever you did. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these what? Things will be added unto you. But you know, you know better than anybody else that you really don't really, you don't, come on, you don't really seek God. You come to church. And you say, but as far as pursuing God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and, and trusting every decision to him, you know you're not there. So, so Moses, even though he had all this stuff, so his failure had to be particularly bitter. He knew God had placed him in, the, in a position of power and authority to secure the release of the children of Israel, and he'd blown it. And to further complicate matters, he was the only one on the horizon who could have possibly helped Israel. Because you, you say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, there was no other Hebrew person who was in a position of authority like this. They were slaves. Amen. There was no other Hebrew person who had a position of influence. But how are you going to convince people who've been in slavery for 450 years, we're going to get free? It has to start with dealing with the mind and the heart. Are y'all listening to me today? Sometimes people don't get any further because we haven't dealt with the heart of the matter. So you can, you, let, let me, can I put it this way? You can come up with every governmental program you want to come up with. And I, there's, there's a program I was reading about that they, they said they're going to they give this, this particular group of people uh, who are in poverty, they're going to give them $1,000 a month for 12, 12 months. How many of you know you can give somebody money, but if you don't change their heart and, and you don't get their mindset changed, they, they're going to be right back in the same position 12 months later. Are y'all listening to me today? Let me let, let me let me let you in on a secret. There ain't no government program that's going to transform your life. Every government program that's out there is designed to cut you off if you start making too much money. That's why some of y'all be right. right well, you, you, I work for you, but pastor, but you, you, let, let's, do it, let's do it off the clock. Let's do it off the clock. But, but pastor, you need to pay me in cash. Because if you pay me the right way, that's going to mess my check up. Uh-oh. I just came to somebody's house, didn't I? Because government programs aren't designed for those who have means. The more money you make, the more benefit they cut. Because it ain't designed to prosper you. It's designed, it should be designed for a safety net when you're going through a hard time. But don't be, you don't have to go through a hard time for 50 years. And then your child going through the same hard time for another 50. Listen, guys, what I'm telling you is the mindset has to change. God wants to deliver us spiritually, physically, and financially. But if you don't trust him, it's the truth be told, some of us trust the government more than we do Lord. And I don't know about you, but I ain't going to put my trust in the government. I, I'm not so sure by the time I get to Social Security age, I'm going to have a check coming. So I got to do something more than Social Security. Okay. Are y'all still with me? I didn't lose anybody. Did what I'm trying to tell you is, is that, 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 that Moses had to go through a process because he had to get to the point to where he, he understood that he can't deliver them without God's help. Amen. His golden opportunity and his people one shot at freedom seemed to be over with, guys. Because Moses experienced the original midlife crisis. Go back to Exodus 2, look at verse number 15. Watch what happens here. Because this stuff happened. But we're going to Exodus 2, verse number 15. Watch this. Watch this. Moses experienced, well, I'm going to say the, the original midlife crisis. Around the age of 40, he went from the palace to the pasture. Guys, that's kind of like going 
from a Beverly Hills mansion to a tent in the jungle. He went from the palace to the pasture. He went from success to failure, from wealth to poverty, from significance to insignificance, from privilege to persecution, from freedom to being a felon, from a purpose in life to no purpose whatsoever, and from a great future to a grim future. But guess what? Everybody said the Lord was in it. See, sometimes we don't realize that even though the Lord didn't send it, he uses it. And he knew to prepare him for greater, he had to, he had, he had to what I tell you on last week, that masters in character acquisition. Some of us, come on guys, some of us, if, if, if the Lord don't take us through a bitter experience, some of us ain't going to change. Are y'all listening to me today? Here's what I learned about myself. Here's what I learned about myself. Myself like gets comfortable with doing things a certain way. Are y'all there too? And there are times when the Lord has to deal with me in some dramatic ways to get me to move in the direction he's trying to get me to move in. And I, I, would, I would surmise that most of y'all who are looking at me are in that very same position because you've been doing stuff the same way for the last 40 years. And you don't even realize, but, but your children can actually mock you because they see you doing stuff the same way over and over again. Right? And so, 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 so what God had to do with Moses, because he's a man of stature, a man of power, a man of position, he had to take a dramatic measure to get him to the place to where he could develop this character in him that was needed to lead the people out of slavery. Now remember, all this happened literally, Vic, overnight. Bobby, overnight, he went from the palace to being on the run. Look at what the text says here. And sure enough, what happened? Pharaoh heard about what had happened. And he tried to do what? That's why Moses had to leave. Now, it doesn't say it in, 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 in Acts. It doesn't put this out there. But it, here we see it being exposed in Exodus. Moses tried to kill him. I mean, Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now, again, many men experience some type of transition in their lives at some stage, typically around 40. Men loving their careers, loving their positions, loving their status. And overnight, midlife crisis occurs. This happened literally overnight. He was positioned in power, and now he's on the run. Now, I would imagine that with this dramatic change, Moses probably uh, went, to a went through a state of depression. Because states of depression can occur when we experience extreme loss. Y'all do know that, right? So Moses is on the backside of the desert. His life changed overnight. But God was still working. Everybody say God's still working. Now I want y'all to consider the changes that Moses faced at the age of 40. Write these down, okay? Three, three, three major changes. Number one, Moses had a change of address. Ever say he had a change of address? He went from the palace of Pharaoh to the pastures of Midian. I want to know how many of y'all could take it. Moving from the palace to the pasture. Moving from the four bedroom, three car garage, 4,000 square foot house in the suburb to rent an apartment on Airline Drive <laughs> or Benton Road or wherever, Florida or Lucas Road. How many of us could, could, could stand? How many of us, if, if God said, if God took us through an experience that caused us to have to move out of our house, how many of y'all still will come to church and bless the name of the Lord? How many of you can still come and, and, and say, Lord, if you gave me one house, you'll give me another? Huh? How many of y'all could be like David says, I once was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. I may be going through a period and in a dry spell right now, but God, whatever you're trying to teach me, I'm ready to learn. Truth of the matter is, some of us 
aren't going to ever get to where God wants us to be until he takes us through an experience, an experience that calls us to have to look up. Because pride is a, <laughs> a bad thing. Pride is such a sneaky sin that you don't even know you operating in it. Pride will have you thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm t- you know, that, that, that church right there, I, I can't go to that church right there because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm deeper than they are. I can't, I, no, 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 I'm far above that. Uh, they, I can't go to that church because, you know, uh, they still sing hymns. Ain't nothing wrong with singing hymns, baby. Just because we don't sing them don't mean that we got a patent on what's right about the order of service. And what God will do is, because when you're in pride, you can't even see yourself. Even though others can see it, you can't see yourself. Moses had a change of address. From the palace to the pasture. And there are going to be some times when God is moving in your life, he's going to move you from where you are to a place where he can settle you and begin to talk to you and get you to listen to him. Second thing was Moses had a change of vocation. He had a change of vocation. Moses was a leader of men, guys. Amen. Now he was he was he was a leader. He was a leader of men, but now he's a leader of sheep. <laughs> you went from leading people to leading sheep. Now just stop for a minute and think of the psychological and the emotional trauma that Moses had to have experienced. With such a dramatic change in his life. Going from leading men, being leading a nation, to leading sheep. Bah. Bah. That's all they could say. Bah. On the backside of the desert. But what was God doing? God was having to transform the one who was going to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt. And if the leadership is not right, the congregation will not be right. If the leadership is not right, the nation will not be right. Let me take it a step further. If the man is not right, the home will not be right. If the man is out of position, the home will be out of position. And if the woman's opposition, it can be opposition too. Because you two are one. Hello? So if the man is leading right, woman, you start to follow right. Hello? We are, third thing, <laughs> Moses had a change of status. Everybody say he had a change of status. Say it again. Say he had a change of status. How many of y'all can change? How many of y'all can stand it when you have a change of status? How many of you? How many of you can go from driving this to driving that, and then not and then not and then not mess with your mind? How many of you can go from turning your seventy thousand dollar SUV tricked out with everything? Your SUV used to be work vehicles. And now you go get one now. It's got some of everything in it. I mean, how many of y'all can go from driving your $70,000 SUV to getting you a, a Toyota Celica? And still be right in your mind. See, if, if that messes with you, that means you got some work to do. Now, listen, God don't have a problem with you driving whatever you want to drive. Let's, let's get that straight. But what I'm telling you is, if he... If it was your lot in life to be moved from where you are to where he's trying to take you to in order to get you to where he's trying to take you to, he has to, he has to send you on a detour. Anybody ever been on a detour before? Any of your life ever got disrupted before? When it, your plan that you had all laid out, it was going this way, and God said, no! Because I got to do something in you. I got to pull something out of you. I got I to gotta get you to, to the place I want you to be. And in order to get you there, you ain't listening to me. Because you go, you go every Sunday and listen to Pastor Adams. You hear him preach. You amen. You tell him it's a good son, but you ain't doing a doggone thing he told you. So here's what I'm going to do. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I got to work on you because you're going to church. You faithful. You committed. And you do. You even give tithes and offering, but you ain't doing nothing what he says. So what, here's what I got to do. I got to change your address. I got to change your, your, your vocation. And I got to change your, your status because I got to get you to where I want you to be. Because where I want you to be is more important than your address, than your vocation, and your status. Because you're not listening to me. Do y'all not realize that God gave you pastors to feed you? Go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews 13. Come on. Lord Jesus. He has a change of status. Now, guys, emotional rejection can hit us at any time in life. Moses had been rejected by Pharaoh. At least that made some sense, would y'all agree? But what didn't make sense, hear me carefully, what didn't make sense was for his own people to reject him, are you? His own people, who Moses said, you know, the Bible said that, you know, in his mind, he knew that God had chosen to be delivered, but the people didn't receive it. It's one thing when your enemies do you bad. Come on now, but when your own folk got you in the back, come on, ooh. When your own folks talking about you, when your own family members are doing you dirt, man, that can mess with your mindset. Are you listening to me? That messes with your mindset. Watch what Hebrews 13 says. Hebrews 13, glory to God. Let me get that right quick. I, I got to let y'all go. Preparing for greater. And, 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 and guys, Next week, we're going to start looking at some of these stories and numbers. But, but I want you to talk. I, I need to show you that God had to deal with the leader in order to get him down and deliver the people. Verse 15, 15 through 17, Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 17. Leadership is very important. Your leadership can get you to the promised land in a short period of time, or your leadership can have you wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and you just dying and never received the promise. Even though the problem was for you, just because somebody said, if God got it for you, you're going to get it. No, it's not. No, 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 no. There's a part you got to play. God had the promised land ready for all those folks who died in the wilderness, but they never experienced it because of what? Fear, unbelief and complaining. You can you can walk in fear. You can walk in unbelief. and You can complain all the days of your life and never experience what God has for you. Jesus said, I've come into my hair life and have it more abundant. But if you ain't experiencing abundant life, it ain't because Jesus don't want you to have it. It's because he's trying to work some stuff out of you. Now, I don't know about nobody else, but here's what I know, because I'm just talking about from Doyle Adams experience. God, if he has to, will break you down to build you up. God, if he has to. Especially when you get to a point to where you're not listening to him. He will allow situations to come. Even though he doesn't send it, but he'll use it to build you. So wherever you are right now, don't, don't listen. What you what you got to do is, is say, Lord. I, I surrender my all to you and I, I thank you right now that that what, what, where I am right now may not be pleasant, but God work on me. God, whatever lesson that I need to learn, whatever character trait that needs to be cultivated and developed in me, God, work it, work it, God. Give me my masters in character acquisition because I want to be a man of God who loves you and follows you wholeheartedly. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Next verse. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Verse 17, what we want to get to. It says what? Obey your spiritual leaders. And do what they say. Now, next week, we're going to start looking at some of the things that were happening in this wilderness experience and in the the life and the journey of the the nation of Israel in the book of Numbers. He says here, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I promise you guys... Everything that I'm sharing with you, I'm sharing it to try to build you up. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. And, and one of the reasons why I preach like this and talk like this, I, I, I want you to I don't want you necessarily to get up and, and, and shout and, and, and throw your Bible at me. That's cool if you want to do that. But I want to make sure you're listening to me. 
I want to make sure that what I'm saying is resonating in your spirit, because when you leave this place, it meant excitement. I mean, the excitement of the moment goes away, but the word that's supplanting your heart will stay. And it'll ground you. He says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. All right, so, so watch this. Check this out. Check this out. If you're a member of this church and I'm your spiritual leader, right? You said the Holy Spirit told you to come in. I believe that. God bless your soul. Thank you. All right, so as, as your spiritual leader, when I'm encouraging you to get engaged and connected uh, in, a, in our small group studies, one of, one of the things that we do on Wednesday night, we do have Bible class on Wednesday night where we systematically go through the scripture. So you can have a proper foundation. I need, you know, God needs and I as your leader need people who understand Bible doctrine and how to apply it into their lives. Because you don't understand Bible doctrine and you don't, if you refuse to come and study corporately with us as we dissect the scripture, there are going to be things that come up and then you're going to be thinking about things, not from a spiritual perspective, but from, from, from how you feel. Okay. And, and cool. All of us have feelings. All of us go through things. Okay. But what we got to learn to do is, is allow the word of God to be the driving force for our decisioning. But if I don't know what the word of God says, how can it be the driving force for, for my decision? I mean, I can, I can think of some stuff. I can hear some stuff. You know, I, you know, intuitive, we think we know what's right and wrong. But, but God needs people who are grounded in the word. All right, so, so if I'm your spiritual leader saying, okay, it's important for you, if you're not working, uh, to be connected with, uh, with, with Wednesday midweek service. All right, as your spiritual leader, I just said that. What does this say? Obey your spiritual leaders. All right, so now if I don't do what they say, what am I doing now? I'm not obeying the spiritual leader. And so if I'm not obeying the spiritual leader who said corporate Bible study is critically important for us to be there because that's where we get our foundational teaching along with our Sunday school and our different, you know, men's ministry, that type of thing. So if, if I refuse to come, not because I'm sick, not because, you know, I'm working, but I just, I just don't do midweek. How many of y'all know in the average church in America, Midweek attendance, attendance is probably uh, less than one third of what happens on Sunday mornings. Now, we're a little bit better than that. See, it's getting real quiet here now because, see, now that I'm talking to you like this, and it shows you can't really hide because I'm talking, and I'm not talking to anybody individual, but you know if you connected in that way or not. See, you need a pastor who will talk to you like this. You need a pastor who will love you enough to say, listen, I love you, man. God bless your soul. You're going to heaven when you die. But God wants to use you while you're on earth. In order to use you while you're on earth, you got to be spiritually grounded. you got to be connected to the word of God. And you got to let the word of God build in your spirit. And we study corporately. So if there's any questions or concerns, you can ask the question in the Bible study. You don't normally stop me on Sunday morning and say, Pastor, what did you say? I don't believe that, Pastor. I, pastor, I don't explain that. Bible study night, we do that. Sunday school, we can do that, right? Okay, now, now, watch this, watch this. And I'm closing, y'all. I'm closing this sermon. I told you three things that happened to Moses. Number one, he had a change of what? Went from the palace to the pastor, right? He had a change of what? Vocation, all right? He, w- he went from leading men to leading what? Bye. Come on, come on. Say, say, bye. Okay, good. Oh, y'all took that obey thing real seriously, didn't you? And third was what? Change of status. There'll be times in your life, guys, where God will do that to you to get you to where he wants you to be. Okay? Obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That will certainly not be for your benefit. So as your spiritual leader, I want to encourage each one of you right now, no matter what you're going through, I need you to know this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Oh, but, but Pastor, you know what I'm saying? I, I messed up royally. I know you messed up. I've messed up before too. But God still can use you. Do you hear me? That mess up, that failure can be your avenue for success if you learn from it. If, if, if our failures disqualified God from using us, guess what? Nobody in here, Robert, would be used. 
So I don't care where you are right now, what your lot is in life. I need you to know if you are born again, believer, God is ready to use you. Maybe you're on the backside of the desert right now, tending the sheep. And you know you belong in the palace. That's all right. God will get you back to the palace in due time. It took Moses 40 years. Maybe it won't take you that quite that long. Okay? But he wants to use you. He's preparing you, Cody, for greater. Do you hear me? Leroy, he's preparing you for greater. Let's go through the preparation. Let's see what God wants to do through us. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed.